Hey guys, welcome back to another podcast with Topics with Tim, the TWT Nation. You are a part of the TWT Nation if you are tuning into this podcast right now. So thankful to have you aboard. So thank you for giving this a listen. Don't forget to give this a like, leave a review for me. I would love to, to hear your critique on the show, how I can make it better. Again, this is going to be the spreads. Now, for those of you who follow my podcast pretty closely, you'll notice that, well, there wasn't a podcast this week with me and someone picking the spreads. Well, I did do a podcast late Friday night with Kyle where we picked the spreads, but unfortunately, due to some time constraints and some things I had going on, I was not able to get that pod up in time for you to hear before this week. So unfortunately, I know it's kind of lost its relevance once those games have already happened. But I still wanted to go over how these games went, give you recaps, give you fantasy analysis, give you kind of game flow on how these games worked out. Because that knowledge is important, especially for fantasy owners, especially for you fellow bettors who are looking to pick the spreads. You kind of need to know how these games sort of transpired because scores can be very, very deceiving. Box scores can be deceiving. You got to know the whole picture. And that's what I'm here to bring. I'm bringing you the whole picture. I did these picks with Kyle once again. I had him on previously, I think around week six to do one. I beat him by a game in those spreads. So this was our official rematch of the spread so let's get right to it all right so game one was the chiefs and the raiders the raiders were the home team playing in their new stadium in las vegas the chiefs had lost their last matchup to the raiders by two points 33 31 so we had a feeling me and kyle that with the chiefs coming off that bye week as well as a lot of Raiders defenders missing practices due to being on the COVID list. We honestly thought, and I give him credit, even being a Raider fan, he was still trying to be as objective as possible. We both picked the Chiefs here at minus seven on the spread. By the way, I used Roto World for the spreads this week since that's what I had available at the time. So we both thought the Chiefs with that. Again, Andy Reid, 16-3, and coming off a bye week, 17-3 and now after the victory was a lot closer than we thought it was going to be. So we missed on this spread. The game ended up going down to the wire. Pat Mahomes had to lead a game-winning drive, hit Travis Kelsey in the end zone for the game-winning touchdown. Kelsey was a monster. Tyreek Hill was a monster. He caught 11 of 14 passes for 102 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was able to get in the end zone with two touchdowns. For him, even though Le'Veon Bell got in for a touchdown as well. So just a really surprising game because, again, I just thought with the bye week, they would just crush. They would roll, but they did not. The Raiders proved that they are one of the probably most underrated teams in the NFL right now. They are complete offensively, defensively. There's still a lot of holes and a lot of deficiencies, but there is some young talent there. Young lineman Max Crosby uh, got some really good pressure towards the end of that game. Dickless Morrow, their young linebacker, is really solid. Jonathan Abram, their young safety who gives a lot of heart to that defense, just running in and, and taking on tacklers with his really aggressive tackling style. So there's a lot to build on. John Gruden is really the wizard right now and is looking like a wizard. They barely lost this game. They could have won this game. I think we all knew, even as we were watching, there was no way they were going to stop Mahomes driving down to win that touchdown. Mahomes is just too good. He has thrown for multiple touchdowns in basically every game but one, has six 300-yard TD games this season. He's definitely the clear front runner for the MVP. 
But, you know, Derek Carr didn't do so bad himself. 275 yards, three touchdowns. His one interception was just a, a late game toss just to, to try to make something happen. So you can't really put that on him. He was efficient. I really, it was really surprising to see such a lackluster defensive line from the Chiefs. They were really getting little to no pressure on Carr at all. He had plenty of time to just sit back there and throw. He hit Nelson Aguilar for 88 yards and a touchdown, and also Darren Waller for seven catches and 88 yards and a touchdown as well. So really just a poor job by the Chiefs to be able to get pressure. They just they just could not get pressure. And so Carr just had a field day. And Carr's the type of quarterback who he's good enough to where if he gets if he gets time to throw, you know, he's a solid quarterback. He's a B quarterback. Maybe not an A, but a B quarterback. So give him time. However, they did just lose their one of their best linemen, Richie Incognito, is going to be out for the season. So that's a big sting for them going forward. Derek Carr, the 19 to 3 touchdown interception ratio this season. So he's really playing lights out. And it's funny to see the difference. Just a year ago, many of my Raider fans were basically giving up on Carr, th- tossing out their Carr jerseys, saying it was done. They seem to have changed their tune in 2020. And now they are loving him and talking him up so much. But I guess that's the nature of being a fan. It is kind of what you did for me lately kind of league. So we both missed on this one. All right, the next game up on the slate was the Steelers and the Jaguars. The Steelers were minus 10.5. We both picked the Steelers at minus 10.5, and we both nailed that pick. The Steelers ended up winning 27-3 against the Jaguars. The game was never in doubt. It was pretty much over from the very beginning. The Jaguars looked just awful. Their quarterback, Jake Luton, only completed half his passes, 151 yards, through four interceptions. The Steelers' defense is, is dominant and just shredded shredded Luton he I'll admit when I watched him I liked his pocket presence he stood in the pocket he didn't run and flee and delivered passes but most of them were off target obviously he threw four interceptions many of them were off target I still am not fully given up on him as at least a decent backup type player because again I've I've watched him and I think his pocket presence is solid he is a guy who's not afraid to stand in and stay in the pocket and not flee at the first sign of of trouble so I think there are still better times ahead for Luton, but obviously it's more and more apparent, at least against these elite defenses, that Minshew is probably the better option just because he can move a little bit more in the pocket and run around to get and to wait to get guys open, whereas Luton's kind of more of a stable, just stay in the pocket kind of guy, a little bit bigger but slower. So, but he did terrible. They turned the Steelers turned two of those those uh, interceptions into into touchdowns, so that was huge for their defense to get scores off turnovers. So you take those away, it's not as much of a blowout as you might think, but again, the Steelers were coasting for most of this one. Other Jaguars players, James Robinson had 17 for 73. Now he has he did top 1,000 yards from scrimmage on the year, and he actually needs 405 more yards to set the record for being an undrafted free agent rookie as far as scrimmage yards in a year. So very impressive. He probably will get that because they really don't have anybody else at the running back position that's even close to the type of player that James Robinson is right now. So he will, he will get that record, but unfortunately he is definitely more of a player that is going to be impactful 
when the Jaguars have the lead. That's not going to be very often, so I'm personally going to be looking to try to trade him as soon as possible to anyone who will take him to try to get an upgrade at a different position because, again, I know the Jaguars, they're just never going to be down, and it looks like he isn't. He was more of a pass catcher when when Minshew was the quarterback. Luton is not as much of a guy who's going to throw it to his backs, so unless they get Minshew back in there, I'm not liking Robinson. I'm trying to get him off my team as soon as possible. Another guy, DJ Shark, who a lot of people own, only four catches, 41 yards. Again, I think I think you will see games like the, the first game with Luton where he went off 157 yards on a TD. You will see better games from DJ Shark in the future. But again, it's going to be you're going to he's a matchup based play. You can't start him against the lead defenses. Luton's just not good enough to deliver him the ball. But he is startable in certain scenarios. No other receivers really did anything significant. Now on the Steelers side, kind of sad news if you're a Juju Smith-Schuster owner like I was in this game. He left early with a toe injury, only had four catches for 19 yards. And again, they were way up, so they just took him out. So I don't know how serious his toe injury is. And again, it was the matchup was so good that it was too good to where they weren't even going to bring him back in the game. So... That that sucked, not going to lie, as someone who started him with, with confidence. However, Deontay Johnson is the guy who kind of basically took over 16 targets, 12 of them for 111 yards. He's kind of the go-to guy. He's he's really the number one on that offense, especially if Juju is, is not there. He's the guy, and he's healthy. But Chase Claypool, again, another you know eight targets, four catches, 59 yards, touchdown. Now, he has 10 touchdowns this year. The NFL record for touchdowns by a receiver in their rookie season is 17, and that was set by Randy Moss. So, unlikely Claypool reaches that total, but he is proven that he is going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL in these coming years, putting up those kinds of numbers. He's he's just size, speed. He just You can tell just by looking at him, watching him, this guy is in, just looks incredible the way he runs. So, Obviously, the Steelers are set. They, you know, they ran a ball a little bit this time, a little bit more than usual. Thirteen times for 89 yards with James Conner, a couple with some other backs. But again, they've kind of turned into a dink and dunk passing team. They've actually thrown at least 40 passes in four of the previous five games. So they are just they are hucking it. Big Ben looks just like he's picking apart defenses when he has these receivers who are so good who can beat beat all these different coverages. He has three number one guys who could be number one receivers on other teams. So he's just picking and choosing who he wants to go to each play, Dinkin and Duncan. That's kind of been most of their run game, just short passes to Juju, things like that. So another 46 attempts in this game. And again, only 267 yards. So you can tell that Big Ben is really not throwing deep balls. He's just letting these guys, when they're, when they're one-on-ones, finding spots in the zone and just hitting them for short gains. So they're just dinking and dunking their way to wins. And another win for Pittsburgh, 10-0. and 0. But happy me and Kyle were able to hit on this pick. The next matchup we had was the Falcons and the Saints. The Falcons were the underdog. They were plus 5. Me and Kyle both took the Falcons at plus 5, and we both were dead wrong on that. The Saints ended up cruising to a 24-9 victory over the Saints in this one. So this game had a lot of intrigue. First off, we had Taysom Hill starting for the Saints over Jameis Winston, which surprised me because I thought Jameis Winston was the more natural 
throwing talent. I've only ever seen Taysom Hill just be more of a gadget player in runs and catches. I never he's never even been given the opportunity to really throw the ball at all. So he was kind of a complete wild card as far as that's concerned. Now, fortunately for me, I was savvy enough and I even recommended on this podcast earlier in the week, I believe, to pick up Taysom Hill because he had tight end eligibility in fantasy. So I was able to slot him into my tight end spot in multiple leagues, and I got 24 points out of it in my tight end spot. And for those of you who know the state of tight ends in fantasy, that was huge to be able to rack up that many points in my tight end spot. Unfortunately, they have removed that. He will be removed from eligibility from other positions and will just be a quarterback now that he's played quarterback for a full game and looks to be the starter going forward. Again, surprised on how well he threw the ball. He was reading defenses. He was making throws. 18 of 23 for 233 yards. He obviously rushed, used his rushing ability 10 times for 51 yards and two touchdowns. And from a fantasy perspective, that's great. He's going to get a lot of his, his touchdowns on the ground, which gives us bonus points in fantasy. We get that four, that six instead of four that we normally get for a passing touchdown. So he's definitely a guy as a short-term starter, maybe long-term if Breeze is not healthy enough. More and more stories are coming out about how he has even more broken ribs than he did before, up to 11 broken ribs for Drew Brees. I question whether he comes back this year at all. We all know how long rib injuries take to heal, and he's not that young anymore, so it's going to take a while. So pick up Taysom Hill. He's, I think he's a safe starter because he's guaranteed those yards on the ground and touchdowns on the ground, and he's even shown that, hey, he can throw a little bit in the passing game. This wasn't the hardest matchup in the world for him. So he could struggle against more elite defenses, but I think you're getting a nice floor with the rushing ability. But yeah, he only had two rushes before half, so they were using him to throw the ball. And obviously we saw, we finally saw Michael Thomas come out and get 52% of the target share. Was able to put up 100 yards and have a nice productive game for owners. We saw even Emmanuel Sanders get in the mix. So he's kind of brought a little bit of life back into that passing offense that was kind of struggling with Breeze, who really can't push the ball down the field. And really, you know, that's where Kamara benefits with Breeze in the lineup because he's going to catch at least eight passes just from Breeze screen plays and quick outs to try to get it to him so he can make, you know, his moves in space to gain yardage. And we saw the difference on how Kamara was used. He did not record a single catch against the Falcons. Not one catch. That's the first time in his entire career that he has not caught a pass. And that is how it probably will be going forward because now they can push the ball a little bit down the field. You know, Michael Thomas will be more involved. The receivers will be more involved. Kamara is not going to get as many of those catches. So for those of you in PPR leagues, this is kind of a bummer because that is where his money has been this year, has been catching six to ten passes a game now he did manage to you know have a decent line 45 yards rushing with a score however he did almost completely split his touches with Latavius Murray it was almost a a clean split so that's a little bit worrisome going forward I think though the nature of this game just kind of being out of hand and it looked like the the Saints defense was dominating basically the entire game I think they knew that it was a little safer to to not um, go to Kamara more. So I think we're going to be Kamara owners do not need to panic as far especially if you're in standard league, do not panic at all. He's still going to get plenty of opportunities. If you're in a PPR league though, I I think you have to downgrade him slightly because the catches are not going to be there with Taysom Hill as quarterback. You're probably praying and hoping 
that Drew Brees comes back in time for the fantasy playoffs. But however, it says that the realistic target, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, is Drew Brees coming back week 15. Week 15, guys. So Taysom Hill is here to stay. I hope Brees comes back week 15 because I have Kamara in a league. And I think I should have the first round by, so I should be. That's that week 15 is going to be crucial for me. So hopefully he's 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 still like I said he's gonna be he's gonna be downgraded, but he's still a guy that you have to start. Now as far as the other side of the ball, the Falcons, wow, absolutely abysmal. Again, we 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 thought that the Falcons are coming in hot. They've really gone honestly four and zero in their last four games. I know they lost one game, but that was just because Todd Gurley had a brain fart in the end zone. If it wasn't for that, they're four and zero since firing their coach. So I really thought things were gonna turn around. For them, I really thought they would they would still lose this game, but I thought they would really make it a fight because these these division rivalry games are usually really good. And I've seen so many Falcons Saints games throughout the last ten years, Matt Ryan versus Drew Brees that have gone down to the wire and have been really exciting. So I kind of just banked on division rivalry. Falcons are better than their record. Saints now have Taysom Hill. Use a question mark. I thought for sure it would be a close game. I'm still shocked at how well Taysom played and how badly. The Matt, and you know, Matt Ryan, I'm not even going to blame him too hard. That offensive line was absolutely abysmal. He was sacked eight times, people. Eight times. I'm surprised he can even get out of bed the next morning with that kind of taking that kind of punishment. Wow, that offensive line just has to be better. Matt Ryan is not mobile, so he's going to get killed back there. It just, it, I was blown away by just how dominant that Saints defense was against against Matt Ryan. Now, Matt Ryan, again, terrible offensive line. He loses Julio Jones to a hamstring injury in the first quarter. Julio doesn't play the rest of the game. He came in for one play on like a fourth down and 17 and just came in and caught a pass, got them the first down, went immediately back out. This has been the story with, I've been telling people for the last four years, I don't draft Julio Jones in fantasy because he's one injury away. And this is the constant struggle with him. He's always banged up. He's always hurt, especially for the last four years. I mean, when you when you have him, you're going to start him. And he he puts up some massive games sometimes, which really you know buoys his um, his overall points at the end of the year. But I think if you really look week by week, he's just not a guy that you can trust with health issues. So he's a guy again. I haven't drafted for probably four or five years straight in fantasy because I just. This decline is coming. These injuries are coming. And, and the sad part for Matt Ryan, the, the three games he has not had Julio Jones, he's finished as a QB 27, QB 23, and QB 26 in those games. So Matt Ryan is basically almost not startable as long as Julio is not in the lineup. So if you're a fantasy owner of him like I am because I lost Dak Prescott and had to have a backup, I, I don't feel comfortable starting him, especially if Julio is not going to play next week. Even with, you know, obviously Calvin Ridley still had a decent line, 5 for 90. But it's, 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 I'm not going to overreact and say their offense is completely done. And you're obviously still going to start guys like Todd Gurley in the future, even though he busted in this game. You're still going to start Calvin Ridley. Those guys are still start. You're going to start them. You're going to have to. And there are better days ahead, but wow, just a shocking, shocking performance. From that Atlanta offensive line, just just terrible. I did not see that coming whatsoever. So we both missed on that pick. Wow. 
All right, next on the docket, we have the Tennessee Titans, the Baltimore Ravens. This game went into overtime. The Titans were able to win 30-24. to But once again, me and Kyle missed on the spread. We took the Titans at minus 6.5. They only won by 6. That's the way it goes with NFL spreads, man. They are just so close. Vegas does such a good, do- such a good job of really hammering out these lines just really tough to beat so we both missed on this one but honestly for me it's a win because if i'm getting that close to picking almost the exact exact difference of the score of the game to me it's a win for me it's a win in my book i'm not gonna i'm not gonna harp on myself too hard for this one so this is a really fun game this game was a back and forth game two really quality teams going back and forth again we have the tennessee side where Ryan Tannehill kind of busted out of a slump. He had not completed more than 20 passes in five weeks. So they have really, really struggled in the passing game. So this was a a major upgrade for Tannehill as far as his play. And I think he can really give a lot of that credit to Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was an absolute beast in this game. They were running him rampant. And it was because of the fear of that running game that he was able to get in for a... For an end zone score, or no, it's a two point conversion and an end zone score for Johnny Smith, well, really because the Ravens were selling out to try to stop the run because they were tired of getting beat up by Derrick Henry. There was a, a really great play by A.J. Brown in this game where he caught a pass around the five yard line and just literally bulldozed his way into the end zone. So that was really nice to see him finally punch that one in and just show how big and strong he is to go along with that speed. So hopefully him and Tannehill, Tannehill can kind of improve and start playing a little bit better because the ceiling for A.J. Brown is very, very high if Tannehill is can kind of start to play a little bit better, but he's been struggling recently. Derrick Henry, 28 rushes, 133 yards, and a touchdown. He had an amazing 29-yard touchdown run at the end of the game in overtime where he just made this awesome jump cut switched fields it's it's crazy to see a guy that big able to have the speed he has and able to have the agility he has so he just boom did the sweet jump cut took it to the house won them the game he's now over a thousand yards on the season and has gone over 100 yards in six of 10 games this season so he's got the colts next week so again the titans really they played it well again the ravens continue to struggle and struggle Lamar Jackson was not great in this one again. Left a lot of meat on the bone, as you would say, in the passing game. Missed. There were two touchdowns he could have had where he just completely missed guys. He missed. Who he missed Marquise Brown on a touchdown that was could have been a 36-yard touchdown early in the second quarter, but just was just late on the throw. Just And again, Marquise Brown, no catches on three targets. This was his number one guy last year. No catches on three targets. There is something seriously broken with their passing game. I don't know why such a stark difference between this year and last year, but Marquise Brown, Lamar Jackson need to sit down at the drawing board and start talking this stuff out because this is just not acceptable. You really cannot start Marquise Brown with any sort of confidence at all right now it's it's bad Uh, mark andrews came through he's actually had a nice two-game stretch catching 12 passes for 157 yards and a touchdown the last two games which is 
which is better than what he's been doing this year. Those of you who drafted him or traded for him, it's it's been a far cry from what it was last year. But he's starting to get a little bit more on track. Obviously, Nick Boyle went down there, other tight ends. So Mark's kind of the guy. And honestly, the only one at this point that Lamar, I guess, trusts enough. I mean, it got so bad, guys, that they started Des Bryant, and he actually caught four or five passes for 28 yards. That is sad. That is sad that they, at this point, that they have to lean on Des Bryant in this game. Their their passing game, Lamar Jackson, it's it's broken. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how you how you change things because you if you can't read defenses and throw from the pocket, and, and teams have already have adjusted to you over the last two years. I don't know what you do at this point. It's something is broken now. As far as the run game is concerned, from a fantasy standpoint, things are starting to clear up. I have been saying for the longest time, since week one and and before, J.K. Dobbins needs to be the starting running back for this team, needs to be the bell cow running back for this team. Time and time and time again, Harbaugh has thrown out, Mark Ingram has thrown out, Justice Hill has thrown out, Gus Edwards. They've had you know a few moments here or there where they've been decent, except for Mark Ingram, who's been absolutely abysmal. Gus Edwards, eh, a couple good games here and there. But again, J.K. Dobbins showing again that he's really, he's the guy. And he's the guy they should be leaning on. They've kind of abandoned that rotation as they should have because it's 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 just, it's not good. Now, both of them are on the COVID list. So I don't know if they're going to play on Thursday. So that might make it even more rough for Baltimore. Baltimore now sits third in the division to behind Cleveland and Pittsburgh. So yikes, yikes, yikes. My, how the tables have turned for the Ravens. Again, I'm counting this as a win in my book because that was a super, super close spread. But again, we did take the L on this one. All right, next on the docket, we had the Chargers and the Jets in this one. This was our first disagreement. So this this will be the first game where Someone is a winner and someone is a loser, but we'll not. We'll see at the end who is the true winner and the true loser. The Jets and the Chargers. I took the Chargers at minus eight and a half. Kyle took the Jets at plus eight and a half. Kyle was the victor on this spread. Now at halftime, things were looking pretty good for me. The Chargers were up twenty-four to six. Were in complete control, just like I thought they would be. However, they do what they always do. And decided to you know, basically let the Jets in the game in the second half. We're playing way more conservatively. The Jets were able to get back in it. The game was never really in doubt. But, you know, those Chargers in the second half, they just kind of, you know, start coasting. Don't know where that comes from. We're in that culture that that's okay. But, you know, whatever. They lost me the spread. Again, not feeling too bad. But... Missing it by a couple points was pretty sad. It was 34-28 was the final score. So anything over two points missing it, I mean, that's I feel like that's on me. Unfortunately, the I, I don't know why the Chargers. Like I said, the Chargers let them hang around, even though they. I think if they were really trying, they could have honestly destroyed them. But it's the Chargers. Justin Herbert, another great game. Through had to through. Throw 49 passes in this game, 366 yards, three touchdowns. They are really riding him in the passing game. Now, Keenan Allen was the recipient of 16 of those completions for 145 yards and a touchdown. He was just 
amazing. The 16 grabs were actually a new career high for him, and the 19 targets he received were matched a career high that he also reached in week three. So he had 10 catches before halftime. He and Herbert have an amazing connection right now. He is just open constantly, especially against the Jets. There wasn't going to be much resistance there. So, wow, incredible performance by both of those guys. Even Mike Williams got in on the action with four catches, 72 yards, and a TD. So he is he's definitely a nice upside play, but can have weeks where he really is a bust. So he's, he's kind of definitely a high-risk, high-reward type of player. Hunter Henry got in there for 48 yards and a touchdown again. I actually had dropped him a couple weeks ago because I just could tell that, first off, I just didn't see him getting open. He just was a guy who created very little separation. I don't think he's been the same since those injuries. He's had a little bit more consistency the last two weeks getting touchdowns. So a guy you can probably still start. I just kind of gave up on him because I was kind of tired of the eight, nine-point games all the time, especially in PPR. But obviously he's, again, he with the, how bad the tight ends are this year, he's, he's not a bad, a terrible start by any means. Kalen Blage was the leading rusher. 16 times for 44 yards, nothing nothing great, seven receptions. So he's getting a lot of touches performance-wise. Eh, so-so. you think against the Jets he would do a little bit better. But this is Kalen Balazs we're talking about, who was former Dolphins, basically joke, who was, you know, good to see him actually doing decent on a decent team. So no Justin Jackson in this one. Again, no Austin Eckler till maybe week 12, maybe week 13. We don't really know. So that kind of puts a damper on that. But obviously the Chargers, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in their performance. Now the Jets, again, Joe Flacco, 3 of 8 for 30 yards at halftime. So I thought I was just, things were going great. But then again, the Chargers are the Chargers. He gets back in it, throws a 49-yard touchdown to Brashad Perryman. You know, even Denzel Mims, their second-round rookie, got in the mix, had uh, I think 70 yards or so on a few catches. For whatever reason... They just continue to run the ball with Frank Gore. He 15 times for 61 yards and a touchdown. Again, don't understand why a 37-year-old player is getting so much run on a team that is going nowhere and needs to evaluate talent. But you know what? Adam Gase is is definitely a guy who uh, does whatever he wants to do. So, again, now Denzel Mims, if they ever do get competent at quarterback – Denzel Mims is definitely a guy who you can maybe start in your flex, maybe wide receiver four. Again, he looks to be kind of a big play guy, make, make some plays. Again, there's only so much you can do on such a poor offense, but he's given them a little bit more of a downfield dynamic since then. So Joe Flacco ended up 15 of 30 for 205 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Again, pretty much all garbage time action just to kind of make it seem a little closer than it was. So... At this point, Kyle is up on the picks by one. All right, so next game was the Dallas Cowboys and the Minnesota Vikings. This turned out to be a really, really good game. Me and Kyle both took Dallas on this one. We took Dallas at plus seven and a half, and we nailed this pick. This was one of probably my favorite picks of the week. I just thought... Vegas was really undervaluing Andy Dalton's return, and I think we saw, you know, they the, the saying is that you don't you don't you'll never be fully appreciated until you're gone, 
right? So obviously we had Dalton play after Dak was gone, and we really missed Dak, right? We were, oh, wow, Dak, we really miss him. God, Dalton, he's so terrible. Oh, Dalton this, Dalton that, right? Then we lose Dalton, and we see what's next. And now all of a sudden it's, oh, Andy Dalton's back. Thank thank you so, oh, man, oh, it's so good to have Andy Dalton back. That's how bad it is, and that's how much Andy Dalton actually upgrades this offense and actually makes it competent. Okay, and that was the difference in this game. Dalton, 22 of 32 for 203 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Now, the big thing that the Cowboys did was they shifted their all-pro right guard, Zach Martin, to right tackle and Joe Looney to center in place of their rookie who got hurt. So this was key in limiting the pressure on the offensive line. I believe he was only pressured on about four dropbacks the whole game. So Andy Dalton is a guy, again, older, not mobile, not incredibly special, but is a guy who can get it done, win protected like a lot of quarterbacks can. So obviously this adjustment on the offensive line really opened things up for both him and Zeke, and he was able to, again, make this offense competent And again, they were able to win this game on a game-winning drive against the Vikings. Dalton Schultz catching the game-winning touchdown pass to put it out of reach. Again, we finally saw all the skill positions for the Cowboys come back to life. Zeke Elliott, 21 for 103 yards, his first 100-yard game of the season. That's big. Amari Cooper, 6 of 7 for 81. I said a few weeks ago you need to pick up you need to try to trade for Amari Cooper because he's going to be a lot better when Andy Dalton comes back and he's already starting to show that with a a pretty solid line obviously we'd like to see a touchdown in there but it's definitely going to come now the best play of this game was CeeDee Lamb making this turnaround diving touchdown catch in the corner of the end zone where he literally had to rotate his entire body around to be able to catch this ball it was it was absolutely incredible display of athleticism flexibility to be able to make that catch highly recommend you go and look at the highlight for that one incredible even tony pollard the running back got in the action as well with a 42 yard touchdown pass so just this line shift and getting Andy dalton back kind of revived this team they should be you know what? Honestly, they still have a chance to win this division. This division is wide open. So, I mean, who knows? Dalton is a, is a, le- a veteran leader who could easily take them and win this terrible, abysmal division. Now, on the Vikings side, again, they almost pulled this one out. They had great performance from Dalvin Cook, who ran for 115 yards and a score and also got 45 yards in the passing game. He now has 13 rushing scores through the first 10 games. The last player to have more rushing touchdowns in a team's first 10 games was LT, LaDainian Tomlinson, back in 2016 when he had 19 touchdowns in 10 games. So again, start Dalvin Cook with confidence. He is playing lights out, probably RB1 this year in fantasy. Other other Minnesota players also stepped up in fantasy. Thielen, 8 of 11 for 123 yards and two touchdowns. He had had some down weeks, but he is kind of basically the go-to guy in the red zone. He has out-targeted Justin Jefferson, their young rookie, 13 to 1 in both the red zone and end zone. So they're using Thielen when they get in close. He is definitely the better, more experienced receiver, working in tight spaces and able to get open and beat man coverage consistently in those important areas. So they will continue to use him. He's definitely a little bit more touchdown dependent than a Justin Jefferson 
And obviously this matchup was juicy, so he won't always do this well. But he's definitely a guy you kind of have to start at this point. Jefferson's a guy you also have to start. The dude could blow up at any time. He had a 39-yard touchdown in this one, so he still he still gave you production. And obviously, again, the matchup was really juicy. So take advantage of these juicier matchups because they're not always going to happen because the, the Vikings have shown they love to run the ball. And they don't love to pass. Oh, it's finally good to see them let Kirk Cousins cook. Okay, because Kirk Cousins is, a, is honestly a very quality, solid quarterback. I, I feel like their coach just literally tries to hide him all the time. And I think he's not a quarterback you need to hide. He is a solid guy that you can rely on and you can use that passing game. But that's just me. But he had some nice drives. Drives of 75, 81, and 85 yards just down the field. Again, that running game was helping out a ton with picking up first downs with Dalvin. So a great performance, honestly, from both of these teams. Vikings probably a little bit disappointed in this one after a couple of good games in a row. They thought they were finally going to get back on track, and then they get beat by a team in the Cowboys who's pretty lowly ranked. So we nailed this pick. The Packers and the Colts were next up on the docket. The Colts were favored here at minus 2.5. I took Green Bay at plus 2.5. Kyle took the Colts at minus 2.5. Kyle scores another one over me. I don't feel really bad about this one at all. This was a very, very fluky game. The Packers played very sloppy. They had four total turnovers, three fumbles lost, one interception by Rodgers, they had a the most crucial one occurred in overtime when the Packers were driving to potentially win the game or kick a field goal. And MVS fumbled the ball at the 20 yard line, basically gifting the Colts the win. So I don't really feel bad about this one at all. If he doesn't fumble that ball, I think there was a very good chance based on how well the Packers offense was moving that they would have gotten down the field, at least gotten the field goal. I would have won this spread pretty easily so the fact that this happened I mean just kind of a fluky thing I'm not feeling bad I would pick the same pick again Uh, again very fluky there was a botch snap that the Colts recovered again two there was another another punt return that was muffed that the Colts got so basically anything the Packers could do to hand the Colts the game they did in this one so it really shouldn't have been even been close. The Packers were up 28-14 to 14 at halftime. They were cruising. Again, I said previously I thought this Colts defense was way overrated based on their schedule, and I, I think I was right on. The Packers really didn't have any trouble except in the run game where they only had about 66 yards. So the Colts did, did do a good job at shutting down the run, but Rodgers, 300, 311 yards, three touchdowns, played great. Devontae Adams, seven catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Aaron Jones rushed 10 times for 41 yards and a touchdown. It's it's obviously was sad to see their run game not get going, and I'm a little surprised to see how little Aaron Jones has been used the last few weeks. They've, he's really been limited. I don't know if they're still kind of milking his injury, trying to really lessen his touches, but I hope that that changes at some point as a fantasy owner of him. I'd like to see him be able to get more opportunities, which he's not getting. But, you know, the, the tight end, Tanyan, Five, five catches, 44 yards, touchdown for him. Again, they got Alan Lazard back, their number two receiver, but he wasn't a factor. He's probably still coming back from an injury, so it's going to take him a little bit to get 
more involved. He'll definitely have some big games down the stretch. There's no doubt about it. But again, very, very fluky game. The Colts, honestly, were not the better team. But again, four you can't overcome four turnovers, especially that terrible turnover in overtime, which basically gifted them a free, easy field goal for the Colts. So is what it is. That's the NFL. Stuff happens on the Colts side. And again, nothing too special from anybody. Their sort of running back by committee hot hand approach was in full effect. We also we saw Naheem Hines have the hot hand last game, get a bunch of touches. He wasn't involved much. Jonathan Taylor had the hot hand, 22 rushes for 90 yards, caught four targets, so he was the man in this one. And again, it's going to kind of change week to week based on the hot hand of who is the guy there. Good to see Michael Pittman, who again I touted before I think last week's podcast with Mike I said you should pick him up and start him in that game against I think it was the I can't remember who they were playing maybe the Niners he went off in that game again another good game this one although only three targets so hopefully he's going to get more targets as they go I was a little bit disappointed in the overall target share but he obviously made the most of them with 66 yards and a touchdown no one else did anything of note Philip Rivers really likes to spread the ball around a lot that's kind of his thing and he had 288 yards, three touchdowns. So, you know, Rivers is definitely doing a lot better than I thought he would. I was definitely wrong on that regard. I, I thought he was done. But given the good defense, given the the good offensive line that's keeping him protected, he seems to be doing pretty well. And, and that's a, a nice win against the Packers. That's it's definitely one of their better wins of the year. But, again, I still think – I'm not going to get too high on this game next week because, again, I think just so fluky and so sloppy by the Packers to have all those turnovers. I think one or two less turnovers in this game is a blowout. I think the Packers literally blow them out, take away two of those turnovers. Also, the Packers' punter was terrible. He had three three punts, I think only averaged about 39 yards on the punt. So their special teams is just looking pretty abysmal at this point with the, the muffed punt return that got recovered the poor punting that gave the Colts a lot of really good field position just yeah the Packers can do that and you know Packers honestly defensively a little bit soft right now they have been for a long time no one super special on that defensive line no one that really scares anybody and that secondary's got a couple nice pieces but nothing to really scare teams away so again Kyle is now up 2-0 to me on these picks all right for the next game we have the texans and the patriots i took the texans at i believe plus two and a half i personally was surprised that they were actually the underdog in this game again i've been saying it for i've been saying it since before the season i did not think the patriots would be good this year i'm actually even surprised that they've won the games that they've won at all i just thought they lost so many players to COVID just opting out. Again, Cam Newton, a massive downgrade. Really no receiving core right now with Edelman out. Obviously, they haven't hit on a draft pick since four or five years ago that's turned into a pro bowler. So they are just devoid of really any real talent, completely inept both offensively, defensively. The only defensive player basically is Stephon Gilmore, who's really any good. Although the McCourty brothers aren't bad. You know, they're a solid solid safeties there so but again other than that completely nothing so 
was shocked to see the line, was shocked to see that the Texans were not favored in this game. So to me, this was an easy, easy play at plus two and a half. Piece of cake play. And they showed it. They were in control throughout this game. A little bit of a scare here and there, but they ended up pulling out a 27-20 to 20 victory, so didn't even need the two points because they just won outright. Now, crazy to, to know this, but a really interesting stat about Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson has accounted for 88% of, tech, of the Texans' offensive yards this season. 88%. This is the highest rate for a player in the past decade if it holds up. Wow. He is running the ball, obviously passing the ball. He's accounting for it all. Right now, without David Johnson, their run game is abysmal. They only ran for 55 yards against the Patriots. So that was very surprising. Other than that, he threw 344 yards, three touchdowns. So he's he's the man. He is keeping things going. However, he did lose two of his receivers in this game. We lost Randall Cobb, who could go on injured reserve, and also... Uh, lost Kenny Stills to a quad injury. So that's two of their four receivers going down. So the guy to look at is Kiki Kuti, who ended up coming in and catching a few passes. He might be a guy worth picking up in PPR without Cobb and without Stills. There's definitely going to be some more targets to go around. Some of the tight ends, though, absorbed a little bit of that yardage. Darren Fells, 29 yards. Jordan Atkins, 83 yards. They're going to be more involved now without Stills and without Randall Cobb. Will Fuller continues to be consistent, eight, six catches, 80 yards. He definitely has upside for even better games in the future, so he's definitely a guy that you're hanging on to. Brandon Cook's also solid, four for 85. So nothing amazing there, but definitely decent enough games, especially in PPR, to get you through a week. Again, the run game, abysmal. Duke Johnson, 10 rushes for 15 yards. Yikes. They have zero, basically zero running game they're also missing their left tackle laramie tunsil during this game which was a downgrade for the run game so now as far as the patriots side again i was surprised i still thought texans would win of course but i was surprised on how little they did in the run game the texans are the worst run defense in the nfl damian harris only got 11 for 43 and a touchdown so still a serviceable fantasy line but in real life only 43 yards rushing come on what what is what is that against the worst rushing defense in the NFL. Very surprising. However, they were in some negative game scripts. So James White got in there for six catches, 64 yards. Again, Cam Newton, when I saw his passing yards, I had forgotten that he threw this 50-yard Hail Mary bomb at the end of the game that got caught. So really minus that from his stats, that'll give you his real stats, which, again, he threw for about 300 yards, 40 attempts, 26 completions. Again, there was some negative game script in this game, which led him to be a little bit more pass heavy than he would normally be the Patriots lost Rex Burkhead in a pretty serious looking injury they think it's a torn ACL so we're probably going to see a lot more Sony Michelle in this offense a lot more James White in this offense without Rex Burkhead available so again I don't think that the Patriots are good they, they just aren't so I, I don't expect them to be to really improve Again, now the two big names for them were Jameer Bird, who kind of came out of nowhere for six catches, 132 and a touchdown. 
Now, unfortunately, Jacoby Myers, who's been kind of the waiver wire darling, only three targets, 38 yards. Again, Nikhil Harry coming back kind of ate into some of his production. He had eight targets, five of them for 41. So I feel like Nikhil and Jacoby are kind of similar type players, big receivers. So they're unfortunately going to eat each other alive fantasy-wise. I don't think either of them you can really start at this point and really trust. you got to hope there's a lot of negative game script. And the defense has got to be soft. Otherwise, these guys are really not guys that you're going to want to start. But anyway, pretty happy to see my pick come through. And I got one up on Kyle on this one. So I am now, at this point, I'm still down by one game. Next up on the docket, we have the Buccaneers versus the Rams. The Bucks were the favorite in this one at minus three and a half. And... Boy, do I have some thoughts on this game. Once again, I am so, so disappointed in Bruce Arians right now. I think the play calling is so boring and bland. You saw the Rams offense where there's so much going on at the line of scrimmage in their offenses. There's jet sweeps. There's running back receiver motions. They are creating so much conflict at the line of scrimmage to make defenders have to think and make more decisions. And the more decisions the defender has to make, the more likely they are going to make a mistake. Brilliant offensive game plan from the Rams in this one. Me and Kyle both took the Bucks in this one, thinking that they had learned from their mistakes against the Saints, came off a strong win against the Panthers last week, thought they would, their defense would get after Goff and they would really pressure him. And Goff does not do good when he's under pressure. They also just lost their starting left tackle as well. So I thought Goff would be under major, major pressure from this defense. But once again, the Tampa Bay offense, boring, bland, trying deep shots that they should not have been trying. No motion, no real creativity at the line of scrimmage to create any sort of conflict there. Just disappointed. Another thing I'm disappointed in, once again, Ronald Jones, after running for almost 200 yards last week, barely utilized in this game. I think had maybe nine rush attempts. Just blows me away that you could have a, a, a guy who, whenever he's given the rock 20-plus times, is hitting 100 yards per game, running the ball. But once again, Bruce Arians miss everyone by running Leonard Fournette out there, who was pretty much ineffective just for whatever reason, once again, benching Jones basically for almost the entire second half. Rarely even saw him out there. Just completely miffed by the idiocy of Bruce Arians and this offense. The, just the, the, the creativity is so poor. There is really none. Just the lack of playing your best running back. Ronald Jones, who has proven time and time again he is their clear-cut best running back by a mile, but again, just continuing to overthink themselves, keep him out of the game. Just really, really sad to see. Tom Brady had a couple bad picks in this one, overthrew on some deep passes. The Rams, though, wow, brilliant game plan. They basically saw, you know, the Bucks are the number one run defense, so they essentially just took out their own run game and decided their run game was going to be the short passing game. And they just dinked and dunked to Cooper Cup and to Robert Woods and let them basically get after it. And they must have seen something in the film around their corners and safeties that maybe there was uh, some tackling or 
some some ineptitude there. So they just attacked, got the ball out of Goff's hands super quick, and let Cooper Cup and Robert Woods basically just win one-on-one matchups and get yards after the catch. Cooper Cup, 11 catches, 145 yards. Robert Woods, 12 catches, 130 yards. Both or, uh, Robert Woods had the touchdown, sorry. They just let him run after. They, they Again, they must have seen something on film where they just saw, oh, man, these corners, these safeties are not going to be able to run with these guys in the open field. And, again, knowing that the number one run defense, they really didn't even try to run the ball at all. Their run game was basically non-existent in this one. They just kind of did what the Steelers are doing right now where they just basically say, hey, our short passing game is now our run game and we are going to do it that way. So we're seeing some teams, even I'd say another team that's kind of doing it is the Bills, where they're basically just saying, we're not even going to run the ball. We have a good enough quarterback. We have three strong receivers. Again, we're just going to dink and dunk. We're going to use our short passing game as our run game. And it's it's working for these teams. So there's something to this to this effect. Now, again, I think the Bucks are a team that needs to be running the ball to be effective with Brady. But again, they're not using their best runner, Ronald Jones. And I continue to not start him in fantasy. He goes off. So then I start him the next week, and then Bruce Arians benches him the next week. And then I don't start him the next week because I'm like, well, I don't trust Bruce Arians anymore. And then he proceeds to go off again. And then I'm going to start him the next week. And then... Bruce Arians benches him again, and then I can't start him the next week because I don't trust him anymore. It's it's just ridiculous what's going on here. Just sad. Sad to see. The Bucks could be so much better. I think coaching is honestly the big problem right now. But, yep, so we definitely lost that spread, both of us. The minus 3.5 did not come through. Okay, next game, the Lions and the Panthers. The Lions were plus one, which means the Panthers were minus one. They were the favorite. Me and Kyle both took the Lions at plus one. And oh my, were we wrong, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I thought that Matthew Stafford would be the difference in this game. I thought, look, no Titty Bridgewater for the Panthers. Stafford is the veteran here. I knew that Stafford was going to be without some weapons. He didn't have DeAndre Swift, their starting running back. Didn't have Kenny Galladay or Danny Amendola, their top two receivers. I still said in Stafford we trust. Again, Panthers, no Teddy, no McCaffrey. A middling defense. A very competitive team, but middling defense. I thought he would he would still come through, at least make it a close game. The game was not close. It was a 20-0 to zero blowout. The Lions offense was basically non-existent. This is a crazy stat here. Let me, let me show this one to you. This blew my mind a little bit. The Lions did not enter the red zone one time against the Panthers. Not one single time. They gained 185 yards total and converted just 3 of 14 third downs. So their offense was basically non-existent, completely abysmal. The Panthers are a, a decent defense, but nothing special. So again, we saw what life is like when Matthew Stafford does not have his top weapons. It was not a pretty sight whatsoever. The Panthers, on the other hand, did pretty well. Mike Davis, 64 yards and a touchdown. Not a great yards per carry, 
but again, he's still serviceable with McCaffrey out. And McCaffrey looks like he might not be back till that bye week. P.J. Walker, the guy who actually started, I believe, in the AFL or was it the XFL that he played in before um, you know everything started happening. But he completed, he had 258 yards, a touchdown, and two pretty bad picks in the red zone. Again, you'd think that the Lions would take advantage of two red zone interceptions, but they did not. They were just so, so, so bad. So bad. Now, Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater, he almost played in this game, so he is a, a decent bet to suit up next week, depending on how the Panthers feel about, you know, again, they don't really have a shot this year, so there's not a whole lot of incentive to rush back Teddy too soon. We all know Teddy's injury history, so hopefully they kind of err on the side of caution there and don't, you know, rush him back too soon. DJ Moore has kind of been the guy the last couple weeks after a really a really poor slow start. He had 11, uh, seven, seven catches, 127 yards. Robbie Anderson, seven for 46, so good job in PPR. If not, you're kind of wondering what's going on there. And Curtis Samuel also, eight catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Was not using the passing game very much, which he has been usually. He makes, honestly, a really good change of pace change of pace running back when he's out there, but wasn't utilized in that way. But again, me and Kyle both missed on this Lions pick. Very disappointing. It looks like the Lions, according to some of their websites here, they decided to kind of beef up against the run, trying to stop the run to sell out. But obviously, that comes at a cost because you can't rush the passer based on some of the lineups they're using with a lot of defensive tackles and there was only I think oh gosh maybe two or three times that pj was even real really pressured so that really ate that really bit them in the back essentially or that's not a, the right expression but hit them in the back bit them in the back i can't think of the expression right now guys it's 2 a.m so just just cut me some slack here all right we got browns and eagles for the next one now those of you who've listened to this podcast recently i've been an eagles guy for a while saying pick up carson wentz and and they're gonna win the division and i'm not gonna lie things are not looking good for them right now they lose another game to the browns and once again I was, I believe I was wrong. I took them at, I took the Eagles at plus three and a half. And they lost this game by five. So Kyle wins on this one. He picked the Browns at minus three and a half. So he's now two up on me after this one. He's looking good for the victory against me, sadly. Now, once again, the name of the game for this one was turnovers. The Browns had one. The Eagles, I believe, had three and also gave up five, another five sacks. So some interesting notes about the Eagles is they use their, I think, ninth lineup combination of ninth different offensive line combination in 10 games. They've had a different starting line. I think two of their linemen didn't even finish the game. So once again, the offensive line is just absolutely dreadful, terrible. It's every week is different. There's no ability to really get any sort of cohesion. It's basically a joke. Miles Sanders had a decent game, but again, they basically abandoned the run after he had a fumble early on because they actually ran 
The Eagles ran it nine times on their first drive of the game. They actually only, only ran the ball 12 more times on the next 11 drives. So they basically just threw in the towel on running the ball. Don't know why, because they were actually running it really well early on. And just, just gave up. Carson Wentz, a couple of boneheaded picks. One was returned for a touchdown, I believe. Wow. It's just, I don't think it's all Wentz. I think, again, you have to go to that offensive line. No cohesion. Lack of quality talent overall. Carson Wentz, I think we discovered what he is. He's a guy who needs an offensive line to be successful. He doesn't have that. He's going to continue to not be successful. That's just that's just the way it is. The only guys that are really safe starting at this point are the tight ends. Dallas Goddard, five catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. I've been stashing him in a league for the last three weeks. So he is a guy who I think will be very productive down the stretch. No other receivers did anything of note. Travis Fulgham continues his fall from grace. He was actually his snap count. He was on the field for almost all of the snaps. Had seven targets, only could corral one. I don't again. I don't know if it's really Fulgham's fault or more just how bad that Eagles offensive line is, and so he just doesn't have the time to get open for Wentz. So. I think if they can ever get their offensive line in order, Fulgham's a quality starter, but right now you just can't really trust anyone on this Eagles offense at all. Again, still disappointed that they're not using Miles Sanders in the run game. As or not sorry, not in the run game, but in the pass game. He's he's been he's shown he's been a great pass catcher. But yet, as soon as they fell behind, they didn't really use him at all in the passing game. And I just don't understand it. I don't get it. I drafted him in a PPR because I thought, hey, He's going to have you know, a lot of opportunities to catch passes. That has not been the case. He's been a bust for me. On the Browns side, they honestly didn't do anything too spectacular. Mayfield 200 yards, didn't throw a touchdown for the third straight game. Again, they're just really pounding the run. Nick Chubb, 20 rushes, 114 yards. He had one 54-yard run in the second half where he did most of his damage. Kareem Hunt wasn't very good, only 11 yards on 13 touches. Did get a touchdown to kind of salvage his day, but not a great day for him. But again, once again, the Browns, they hid Baker Mayfield. They ran the ball. They didn't really ask him to do much of anything. Not much of note from any receivers on the Browns. Again, there's also been a lot of bad weather in Cleveland these last couple weeks, so that's kind of also made it so Baker and the Cleveland offense is not really going to do anything other than run the ball because the weather's just been so, so poor and it's kind of killed any chances for any fantasy relevance. So great job by Kyle picking this one. He's now two up on me with the final two games to go. All right, the Dolphins and the Broncos were next up on the docket. We took the Dolphins at minus three and a half. We lost this spread pick, and it was bad for the Dolphins. They were really abysmal throughout the... If we're looking at total yardage for the game, the Broncos literally doubled them. The Broncos had 459 total yards to 223 from the Dolphins. They were dominated in basically every facet of the game. It was was sad to see, especially because... You know, Denver actually had more turnovers than the Dolphins, and they still played so, so poorly. Again, the Denver Broncos were able to get their run game going. They, again, hid Drew Locke, who 
on the year only has seven touchdowns to 11 interceptions. He is not good. He really, it says he threw for, for 270 yards, but one of those was a 61-yard heave on a, mining, a meaningless last play. So really about 200 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. So again, they just hid him the best they could. He was also recovering from a rib injury, so they were trying to limit him there as well. It was really the run game that was the story. Philip Lindsay, 82 yards rushing. Melvin Gordon also got on got on the action as well for 84 yards and two touchdowns. He seems to be more of the goal line back, whereas Philip is the more of the between the 20s type of player. So there's always going to be limited upside with Philip not getting the goal line touches. So they split their work pretty evenly, about 16 touches each. And again, they just leaned on the run game basically for the whole game. There wasn't a lot more to... There was not a lot to go around, surprisingly, considering how many yards they, they ran for or they had in total. Now, the Dolphins, again, Tua Tagovailoa was actually benched in the fourth quarter, was benched for the last 10 minutes. Ryan Fitzpatrick came in and actually threw for 117 yards and an interception. Tua, before getting benched in the fourth, was 11 of 20 for 83 yards and one touchdown. He was also sacked five times, so it wasn't all his fault. They were getting a lot of pressure from that Denver defense and were not able to handle it, which is probably what led Tua to such a poor outing. A little bit, I questioned the move to bring in Fitzpatrick. Again, I don't know what that could do potentially to the psyche of Tua Tagovailoa. I guess we'll find out how mentally tough this kid is and see if this sort of rattles him being benched like that. Now we've seen Tua for a few games now. He's had some nice performances. This one was not one of them. Again, I think it had more to do with the pressure that he was under that and, and the offensive line of the Dolphins just played really, really poor. So I think he'll be fine. I think again he's one of those quarterbacks that is probably not as dynamic as a Kyler Murray, a Russell Wilson, or a Deshaun Watson, where you know he is gonna need consistency from the offensive line to be an effective quarterback. He's not a a you know game-changing type guy like those three guys I mentioned who can basically win and dominate with the worst offensive lines possible. Salvin Ahmed, the running back, played about 85% of the Dolphins' snaps, had about 80 yards total. We'll see if that continues once Miles Gaskin is back. Probably the week after next, he potentially could lose his job. Devontae Parker, six catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Again, without Fitzpatrick, he's really... It's been a significant downgrade for him. He's much better. I'm sorry, with Tua, it's been a significant downgrade. With Fitzpatrick, he is quite good, which is why, as a Parker owner, I was disappointed when they made the switch to Tua because I knew that they go with a lot more of a run-heavy approach with Tua. So, again, some uneven performances from Tua, but also some some nice showing. So it's hard to really know at this point if he's going to be the guy long-term. But bottom line, the Dolphins... We're coming off a, a number of games in a row playing really strong. Really took a step back in this one, and we missed on this pick. All right, last game for Week 11 was the Bengals and the Redskins. Kyle and I took the Bengals with confidence at minus two. Once again, I'm going to throw this one out the window because this is a whole different ball game. If Joe Burrow is able to finish the game, we all saw the play. We all know the devastating news. Joe Burrow was, he tore both his ACL and MCL. 
It was a very ugly injury. He was planted and threw and had, a, I think, an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman sort of both fall on his leg while his leg was planted. We all know that the mechanics of our joints in our knee are not intended to be able to take load when planted in that way. So it basically his knee entirely popped out and then popped back in. It was really, really nasty. Just a bummer. Again, I think this is a big reason why the NFL has made that rule where defenders can't dive at someone's legs because quarterbacks are just in this very vulnerable position. They are not a running back who's running and able to, oh, going to lower my head and protect my, my lower body when I'm going, you know, hitting the hole. A quarterback is literally looking somewhere else, has his legs planted in a way where if any sort of load, and we're talking about 200 to 300 pound linemen, landing on that leg when it's planted is going to absolutely destroy the knees of all quarterbacks, rendering us fans to have to watch Ryan Finley for the rest of the year for the Bengals. And no thank you as a fan. I do not want to watch Ryan Finley. I do not want to watch these abysmal backup quarterbacks play. It is so boring. So please, NFL, continue to protect our quarterbacks by flagging those players. In this situation, it looked like the offensive lineman and defensive lineman both kind of were tussling and then sort of fell into him. So I don't know. I don't really blame the defensive lineman too harshly on this one. I think it was kind of a, more of a fluky situation. But I hope they continue to throw flags on any defenders going low on quarterbacks. Because, again, there's there's just nothing your leg that's planted can do against a 300-pound person landing on it it will destroy your legs as we've seen happen time and time again we saw tom brady go down with someone diving at his legs late while planted he lost a year it was right after his big mvp season uh, where he threw 50 touchdown passes he was out for that year we saw carson palmer back in the playoffs about i think about 10 years ago someone a steelers player dove at his legs that was in a playoff game that the Bengals eventually lost and have never had a really much of a chance since that point so uh, yeah they really need to continue to protect these quarterbacks with those from those low hits because you just they're just you just can't stop that it's not even a play where you're like oh well the defender like no you got to give these quarterbacks a chance they do not have a chance they're not running through a hole they're not a receiver catching it and then turning and able to you know get their head and shoulders far you know, above their feet and don't have to plant to do anything. So they're not in such a vulnerable position that our quarterbacks are. So good for the NFL. Continue to do that. As far as the game goes, again, once Burrow went down, man, that was pretty much all she wrote. You knew the, you knew the Bengals were done at that point. They were just too deflated. So he finishes his rookie year with 2,500 yards, 10th most in the league, which is, which is pretty solid and 12 touchdowns. So he's still young, should be able to rehab well, should be back in no time. I'm hoping this isn't a Jimmy Garoppolo situation. We all know that Jimmy Garoppolo was the hottest thing since sliced bread, then tore that ACL, has never been the same. I don't think that Burrow is in that same boat. He is much younger than Jimmy was when Jimmy tore that ACL. So I think that he will be he will be fine. But obviously if you are a fantasy owner and you own any of the receivers for the Bengals. Basically, the only one startable is Boyd, and that's more so in PPR because 
we're thinking hopefully Finley is going to still throw him a lot of short passes. So I think Boyd's still startable. Everyone else, I probably would look elsewhere. Again, Ryan Finley, three of ten passes for 30 yards and a pick in his mop-up duty there. He completed 47% of his throws and three starts in 2019. So this is not a guy that you're really starting with any confidence at all. Again, their whole offense was pretty much abysmal. No one did anything of note. Washington, on their hand, had some nice performances. Antonio Gibson had 94 yards and a touchdown. So he continues to be the bell cow workhorse back. He's definitely more valuable when they have a lead because when they get down, they turn to J.D. McKissick, who had 43 yards on the ground and then another 26 yards receiving. They lean on him a lot more if they're down in games. Terry McLaurin, five catches, 84 yards. So he continues to be a nice wide receiver one option. Alex Smith, again, another game manager type stat line. 17 completions, 166 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Didn't ask him to do anything special. Just manage the game, not lose it. Again, the game was pretty much over once Burrow was out of the game. So I'm throwing out that. That line does not count for me because, again, Joe Burrow's in that game. They likely win that game. I don't see any any way they don't win that game with Joe Burrow. But that's it. That's all she wrote for this week. So thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Hopefully you got some value out of it and you can kind of see a general of what happened, how these games worked out. And congratulations to Kyle for coming back, beating me soundly by two games in this one after I had beaten him in our previous matchup. I, again, am on quite the losing streak when it comes to spreads. I'm going to need to do some serious, serious reevaluating on how I do these spreads because I, I, I'm continuing to struggle. However, my fantasy teams are doing great, so that's that's awesome. But this is definitely a learning curve for me for these spreads. But I'll continue to work on my craft here. I'll continue to find the sources that I need to find, follow the stats I need to follow in order to give me a little bit more accurate predictions for these spreads. But again, thank you guys for, for listening. Congratulations to Kyle. And I will... See you guys on the next pod.